Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast Series with California Technology Council and Foley and Lardner. Now we turn over to Matt Gardner in our Northern California studios. Hi again, everyone. It's Matt Gardner with CTC. We're glad to be back after taking a break to develop several new podcast series. We'll have more to come soon on a few of these, including cybersecurity and operational technologies, our CTC Academy training efforts, incubators and accelerators, data centers, the history of technology, and more. We're glad to be working with a growing set of partners and sponsors. You'll be hearing from some of them as we get into each of these series. And while we've been away, we've continued to expand on the services and partnerships we deliver for members. From Office Depot, where everything from break room supplies to custom fleeceware, to our employee benefit programs with Morgan Stanley, Transamerica, Advanced Professionals, and United Healthcare. These are all essential to how we serve our community, and you can learn more at californiatechnology.org slash join. As everyone has adapted to new ways to work with COVID restrictions, we here at CTC still find our members want to connect, share best practices, keep learning, and hear from one another. If you have an idea for a podcast, get in touch with us at podcast at californiatechnology.org. We'd love to hear from you. Now for this episode today, we get a scene setting conversation going with our partners at Foley and Lardner and their Silicon Valley managing partner, Antoinette Konsky. Antoinette, how did this interest in an artificial intelligence series develop for Foley? Thank you, Matt. That is a great question. As a firm, Foley and Lardner works hand in hand with clients across a broad range of industries, such as healthcare, high tech, automotive, and financial services. A consistent theme has been the benefit of data science and artificial intelligence and its benefit for our clients in these areas. Plus, because Foley and Lardner's Palo Alto office, sitting close to the birthplace of high tech, has witnessed the adoption of AI and its growing influence across these many industries. Our desire was to share the excitement and thought leadership we have learned from our clients with your audience. Thanks, Antoinette. And what are some of the topics our listeners will hear in this series? Everyone needs healthcare. One major benefit we see is the influence of AI on the delivery of healthcare, from the discovery of new drugs and therapies to how healthcare is delivered by physicians. Many times, AI's impact is hidden from the health consumer, but this series will explore AI's impact on this industry. For example, one of our topics will explain how AI is being used to track COVID-19 infections across the United States. Thanks for those thoughts, Antoinette. On this episode, first in the AI series, we talked to Ken Dijarnet, a long career in technology and technology risk has brought Ken to a point where he's now a professional board member after spending the last two decades with Deloitte. We're gonna to talk to Ken about how businesses are considering what tools to put to work and how AI can help them make decisions. Here's our conversation with Ken DeJarnet. Ken, thanks very much for taking time with us today. We really appreciate all of your expertise. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and, and how you've arrived at this kind of position of global expertise? Well, Matt, I just first want to thank you for inviting me to uh, participate. 
and uh, give you just a brief sketch of my background. Uh, first, I would not say, you know, that I'm an expert or any of those types of things, but I appreciate it. Um, I think, like you, I've lived in various parts of the uh, country. Originally, I was from uh, Montana, but came down to California, went to college, uh, went into the computer business, and I've probably had three distinct careers. Uh, one that was focused on uh, computers, and uh, the second one was uh, legal. And then eventually I ended up at uh, Deloitte and uh, helped build out the security and the privacy cyber practice that they have. And when I retired from Deloitte, I was the global risk and reputation leader for its advisory business. Uh, today I've been uh, helping boards, including uh, a SaaS business that's called uh, Informer, and um, also um, you know, working with uh, some other uh, startups and nonprofits, and uh, hopefully I'm going to do a little bit of uh, teaching in the area of ethics. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting combination of things. You mentioned Informer. Of course, our, our Clean Acres initiative would be very interested in, in their work. Can you tell us a little bit about what they're focused on? Yeah. So um, Informer is a very interesting company, and it is in the space that I would say was um, safe cities. And, Matt, I'm, I'm certain you've heard of, you know, smart cities. And a subset of smart cities is safe cities. And we're really focused on um, public safety. So when you think about fire and 911 and uh, police and really helping them uh, manage their personnel from a scheduling perspective. So, you know, it's all about making certain you have the right people at the right place at the right time. And um, it's an important, um, you know, thing that we do, and we do it because, of course, uh, you know, they support us, and so we want to support them. Well, Ken, let's talk a little bit more about your many years at uh, Deloitte in, in global risk. I, I, I'd like to get your sense of how, as an industry, we're doing at integrating a number of these trends, and, and I'd like to take a big picture view of the last maybe 15 years. It seems like, and would love you to correct me on this, but it seems like we've gone from sort of getting our arms around big data to beginning to use the tools of machine learning and now talking about the applications of artificial intelligence. It, is that the right sort of broad brushstroke to paint in, in how this has moved, or is it more complicated than that? Well, Matt, I think that's basically the big uh, picture, you might say. First, I'll, I'll just um, state with, you know, kind of a disclaimer that everything I say is really my own views here and isn't really, uh, doesn't represent what um, any of the companies that I've worked for, you know, think. They're my own views. But if I just think about my career um, and I think about how it's progressed, and even from, you know, think about when we were in college and you had just a calculator and today, you know, and, and we'll quickly and it moved into a computer, but that really moved quickly. And today, um, you know, I think it would be, and I'll use this word, word kind of foolhardy, to make a lot of decisions 
without, you know, really accessing and analyzing data. And that's what I've really seen is that the sophistication in the use of data, the ability to access large um, data sets to help make decisioning, I really think has improved decisioning. Um, and I probably have an example almost of each, you know, uh, era that I've lived in, you know, where, where it's worked well and where it hasn't. But in general, the trend has been, I think, during my career to uh, use more data, uh, larger data sets to do it quicker to arrive at what I think are higher quality, uh, more impactful uh, decisioning. Uh, and that, I think, has been the uh, general trend. And I got to believe you've experienced it also. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's something that we've, I guess, shouldn't have been surprised to encounter in just about every industry we work with. And that's, that's been one of the most uh, interesting conversations as we continue to encounter it in every corner. How do you think businesses go about evaluating uh, the, the sort of value or how to prioritize where to put these tools to work? And, and do they really think about higher value decisions as a filter? Or is it just something where they've got tools to work with and they begin to put them to work in everything they're doing? Yeah, Matt, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, I would state that one of the issues I think sometimes that we have is that we expect too much. And so in a lot of businesses, we try to make these uh, giant leaps when sometimes we're really not prepared or we're not really aware of the consequences. And don't get me wrong, because I think, you know, business in many ways is all about, you know, being responsive, uh, being quick, uh, you know, uh, taking advantage of opportunities, et cetera. You have to move. You've got to move quick. But, but the reality is that uh, in certain cases, one might not be prepared. But there are so many things that businesses can do that can be impactful um, quickly and with a high degree of, um, of reliability or accuracy or quality. Um, an impact. And so if you just think about, uh, you know, the various areas of, um, of what we call, you know, kind of quote unquote, you know, artificial intelligence. But if you just took things like uh, robotic process automation, um, the ability simply to, uh, in certain ways at its most basic form, you know, is just string together various, you know, um, uh, processes uh, through, you know, automation and do something that we do as humans, uh, you know, repetitively and do it just very quickly and do it with a uh, high degree of uh, confidence, you know, in its accuracy. I mean, that's an area that almost every business uh, could take uh, advantage of. 
Whereas, you know, if you were to leap to the other side of the spectrum and you were to think of something like, you know, deep learning, um, well, that might take uh, much more of a, of, you know, a thoughtful effort to do that. Um, and so there's a spectrum when you think about it, you know, of things that we can do from a, um, you know, an AI or a machine learning perspective. Some are actually, you know, very simple to do. And in fact, if I think about things like an informer is, you know, if you think about reporting, for instance, where people might have to go take and grab data from many sources to put together various forms of dashboards and, and, uh, or to do certain kinds of regulatory filings or whatever it is. You know, those things can be done rather quickly today, and there's quite a pool of individuals who know how to do this type of, um, and I'll use the, use the word programming kind of loosely, okay, but to be able to, to do, uh, you know, uh, RPA, that um, there's an area, for instance, where there's just enormous productivity gains that be, can be uh, gotten. Whereas to go into areas like deep learning, that might take a lot more thought. Well, okay, so you've mentioned productivity gains, and I guess we're, we're partly experiencing uh, a, a deeper conversation in some industries where there are some tools ready to go because of the volumes of data to deal with. So we spend a lot of time talking about uh, this work in healthcare because of the volume of patient records, where there's mm -hmm. clearly a, a way to put these tools to work. Are there particular industry segments where, uh, or or fields or subfields, where all these tools between data science and machine learning uh, seem more readily accessible or helpful, uh, or is it really, you know, covering the waterfront right now? Well, you know, I, I actually do think there are areas or industries where certainly um, it's probably, um, and I'll use the word easier, probably uh, to approach some of this. Uh, and, but I, I would step back and say, what are some of the attributes that, you know, they might have? And, you know, the question becomes, you know, uh, do you have some of those things? And it's not always whether you have them, but it's whether or not you have access to them also. Because I think you have to look at the ecosystem also that you might reside in. And, um, you know, the, um, um, those things that are uh, kind of uh, surrounding, in a sense, your business that you might be connected to. Because when you think about um, some of the more sophisticated things, um, you know, access to data, okay, uh, making certain that, you know, there are larger data sets. Um, and then you're getting into issues too that have to deal with everything from, you know, what's the quality of data, what's the suitability of data in terms of what we're trying to do, what are the types of scenarios that we have, et cetera. And so if you think about those kinds of things, you know, certainly you begin to think in terms of things like, you know, financial services, 
Um, I think, you know, uh, you brought up health care. You know, there are elements of things like uh, government. And then there's also, when you think about the, you know, IoT and you think about, um, you know, particular um, devices, okay, in a sense, so you uh, think about, you know, like uh, automotive and an automobile, okay, uh, you think about, um, and now I'm making it up because I'm not a healthcare expert, but I got to believe radiology, imaging, and, you know, all those types of things. And so, but it, I think a lot of this comes down to, uh, you know, is attributes. And, um, you know, when you're thinking about this type of thing, I think as a company, you need to think about, you know, what data do we have and what is the, you know, what access to it? What can we do with that data? What should we do with that data? Um, you know, those are key things. Like, um, you wouldn't think that somebody like an informer, perhaps, you know, that this would be um, all that applicable. At least some people may not. But, but certainly, when you think about um, scheduling data and years of scheduling data, and, you know, the ability to understand various sizes of organizations, various different types of organizations, and what has their, you know, a need been. And uh, when you think about the um, various uh, contracts that uh, they may have and the rules, um, you know, all these things are, you know, tell you that this is a data-rich environment. Uh, that one can um, take advantage of from a value proposition to everyone's benefit, the benefit of the, um, the user, the benefit of the, uh, you know, in public safety of the municipality and the people they serve, and even the, business, uh, the, the benefit of the company that provides it. Uh, but I think it's a um, and hopefully this makes sense to you, Matt, but I think it's a, it's kind of a, what are the attributes that, you know, um, provide the opportunity and then is the entity or the company willing to seize that opportunity today and does it have the right resources and, and um, types of people and, um, you know, to, uh, to take advantage of that. Um, and that's what's so exciting. So, Ken, one of the things that, uh, that seems so important is the context, not only of a company's culture, but of an industry's culture. And so if we look, for example, at the, the automotive industry, one of the things that we can see is that just as far back as 20 years ago, if you were to go to the big SAE show every year, you would have found that the culture was about uh, – you know, reducing weight in parts and incorporating aluminum uh, uh, parts into the engine and, and that sort of thing. And now, today, if you were to compare SAE and the Consumer Electronics Show, there's almost no difference because of the, the culture of the industry becoming a, uh, you know, a technology-based industry integrated with, you know, the car as a platform and, and a data generation, uh, um, you know, an integration platform as well. So in your, in your experience, how important is the, the corporate culture and the industry's culture on top of that? 
So Matt, I think that's a great question. And I'm one of these people that believes that culture is all important. And, you know, how you set up that culture um, is, uh, and it's not set up, I guess, but it's what's ingrained that, you know, it's just so, so critical. And it's so funny that you bring up the um, example of, you know, the automobile um, is because when I was younger, I worked for GE. And, you know, at GE, I think we had, in those days, uh, it was an amazing culture. And it was all about um, innovation and, um, uh, you know, taking advantage of, um, you know, technology or innovation and, um, and creating value, you know, adding value all throughout the process. And I remember being in Detroit once and um, sitting there in a meeting where, you know, they had a vision of a car that was made principally from, in those days, uh, plastics and ceramics. And, um, you know, that vision to varying extents probably came uh, to fruition, but it was all about innovation. And I think as you move forward um, today, um, the same thing is actually occurring. It's just different in the sense of today we think in terms of things like, you know, data. How can we take advantage of the data? Um, how can we use machine learning, you know, to, uh, you know, mimic cognitive functions? Um, these are all the types of things that today people get excited about and are trying to do. And what you want to have is a, a, you know, is a culture that fosters that, that looks forward and is not necessarily uh, stuck in the past. And even if you look at the automotive industry today, you really see it. And you see, you know, things like a, you know, a Tesla coming into the marketplace um, and others who are, you know, helping to bring up the whole automotive industry. But the key is you've got to have a culture that is willing to embrace change. And um, those who don't are probably those who won't survive. So I'm one of these believers that, you know, that, and especially leadership, you know, top leadership needs to focus on instilling a culture that will allow you to be adaptive and allow you to thrive, especially as the pace of change, you know, increases rapidly. So I, I'm just a big believer in, um, you know, in culture. Uh, that's a very interesting uh, look at how that kind of culture gets fostered by leadership. You know, I, I want to ask you something related to that about the types of cultures that seem to produce forethought and the the question I have for you, I think, is about the VA. And the reason I want to ask about the VA is they, of course, were very thoughtful a long time ago about storing longitudinal patient outcomes data. And it turns out that as we look at data as snapshots, there's one level of value. But longitudinal data is like a quantum in terms of value. So are there ways to think about... Um, you know, corporate culture or, you know, executive decision-making as a, you know, as hallmarks of who's the most open-minded, what does that kind of 
behavior look like, uh, early adoption being key here, putting these systems to work. I, I realize this is a 10-part a question, so let me try and steal this all <laughs> together. What are the traits of the kind of management culture that is willing to examine these things and think forward to, to consider how these systems might change their their work? Yeah, so it's interesting, and this is kind of a um, this is a, this is a topic that I think I can get very passionate about. And what I would say is, and I don't know, you know, the example that you're talking about with the VA, and I'll have to go take a look at that because I think it's it sounds really interesting. But I I think today, or at least through my experience, and um, you're catching me a little off guard with this, but I would probably put it to a couple of things in terms of leadership and making certain that we're instilling um, a couple of, uh, or we're taking advantage of a couple of, and I'll call them, um, uh, you know, attributes just for a second, okay? Um, one of them is to make certain that we um, foster a what I would call a multidisciplinary um, environment, and 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 I'll talk about that in a second. But the other one, and I would say, would be and an inclusive environment, and both of these these ideas can be um, thought about on multiple um, axes. Um, but, you know, the, I, I think the worst thing from a culture standpoint in terms of, of being innovative, of, uh, of, you know, adding value of, on almost any measure you want to give, okay, is that um, if everything is the, has, is the same, the same mindset, okay, is you really can get stuck. You can get stuck or you can make bad decisions, etc. And um, it's this thing of trying to bring in uh, various perspectives um, and bring in various, um, you know, disciplines. Um, like if you think about reimagining, you know, how something gets done um, from a business perspective, a lot of times that, you know, if you have people who have only done this the same way, you know, for years and years and years, and you foster that, then, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to see how you're going to actually do something differently, or you're going to be able to take, um, you know, advantage. In my career, and especially when I was in the consulting field, it was so fascinating to see that some of the greatest strides we made in how to do something came to us from the uh, most junior consultant who walked in and looked at something and with no, uh, you know, uh, uh, bias, in a sense, said, you know, 
why aren't we doing it this way or who didn't just begin to do it that way? And all of a sudden you'd say, yeah, no, why hadn't we done it that way for a long time? And so I think this thing of, you know, multidisciplinary, having various people with various backgrounds and skill sets and as part of inclusiveness also, you know, thinking about things and fostering this and, you know, and making certain that voices are not drowned out, you know, taking the time to actually listen, you know, you're going to get to a better place. Now, you know, you also have to uh, be able to do this, you know, with some level of, of speed. Okay. But, um, one shouldn't fear, um, you know, having a multidisciplinary environment and being very inclusive. And uh, that's why, like, for instance, when you're hiring, you know, it's, uh, in my mind, it's pretty important to make certain that you're not just always hiring somebody like you. And, I mean, you know, this is all, we're talking about this at the macro, but um, like I said, I'm pretty passionate about this is that, you know, like, for instance, I was in risk management. Well, you don't want to have, you know, everybody who's in risk management just grow, have grown up in risk management. That's, gonna, that's just going to result in a disaster. You know, you want people who have been doing lots of different things, have lots of different experiences. And then you want to bring them together in some form of, with some form of what I would call, um, you know, um, and I hate to use the word structure, but that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head, some framework, some way that we're going to take advantage of this. But it's, you know, it's so important to um, not have everybody look the same because otherwise you're not going to come out with, um, you know, a vision of the future. You're not going to be able to take advantage of new things. Um, you're not going to be able to, you know, as people say, think out of the box. Uh, you're going to miss opportunities, you know. So I just think that's critical. And it's a really interesting topic that probably is worthy of its own um, podcast. Thanks so much to Ken DeJarnet. On our next episode, we'll finish our conversation with Ken on AI and business decision-making. We'll also have episodes coming up soon on the history of technology and more with our CTC Academy, as well as some other topics that I'm sure you'll enjoy. If you have an idea for a topic, please email us at podcast at californiatechnology.org. That's singular podcast at californiatechnology.org. This is Matt Gardner with CTC. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Hi, this is Allison Jones, and you're listening to the Artificial Intelligence Series with the California Technology Council and Foley and Lardner.